Father God, would you please speak through my weak and foolish words? Would you speak to our hearts? Touch our heads, touch our hearts, and touch our hands, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the bad news is that for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible teaches about giving. <laughs> and I hope that we, what we will discover will be both liberating and also life-transforming. I'm always nervous when I speak about giving because most people think that the only thing that the church wants is your money. <laughs> well, we do want your money. <laughs> But actually, there's something much, much more important. The story is told of three men in the trenches. They're about to go over the top. The sergeant says to one of his men, this is going to get hot. This is really bad. Tell us a Bible verse. Say a prayer. The man replied, Sarge, I don't know any Bible verses, and I don't know any prayers. But if you want me to do something religious, I'll pass the plate around. <laughs> we quite like it like that. It makes God and religion manageable. It means that if we give our 50 or 100 rubles or even our 1,000 rubles, we think we've done our bit. I've put the money in the basket, so it's okay and I'm okay. But if that's our attitude, then we're not giving we're actually rather buying or paying for a good conscience. And I'd like to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'd like to look actually, uh, for those who have Bibles or who have mobile phones with the text on, both the verses before our reading and our verses, because they teach us about a right motive for giving. Paul is writing to the early Christian community in Corinth, They've said that they're willing to collect money for the church in Jerusalem and Judea who are experiencing severe financial hardship. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them to do what they have said they will do. And the thing that strikes me about these verses is the emphasis on the freedom and the joy of giving. Paul speaks of the giving of the Macedonian churches. And in the first few verses, the verses you don't actually have here, but you can look at home, he, he uses the words, their abundant joy, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They voluntarily gave. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry. Do you know, I would love it Actually, it does happen. I, that should be, I, that, it's not fair, but it does happen when people come and say, I really want to share in the ministry. I really want to give. It's fantastic. This is about abundant, voluntary, generous giving. It reminds me of the woman who took a jar of precious oil, equivalent to the value of a laborer's wage for a year, about 500,000 rubles. And, uh, and she poured it on Jesus. This is about voluntary, eager, earnest, willing, and joyful givers. 
This is a million miles away from the guilt-inducing campaigns of many charities and, for that matter, churches. And it is a million miles away from the scrabbling round inside our pocket or purse to see what we've got left over to put into the collection basket. So how can we become eager, earnest, willing, and joyful givers? Well, first of all, we need to give ourselves to God. Paul writes of the Macedonian Christians, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. This is so important. If we wish to discover the joy of giving, then before we give our money, we need to have first given our life to Jesus Christ. It's about saying to the Lord Jesus, I love you and I trust you and I commit my life to you. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will live for you and I will live with you. I will die for you and I will die with you. Jesus is the heavenly highwayman who stops us in our tracks. He doesn't say your money or your life. He says your money and your life. Of course, we need to constantly surrender ourselves to God. If you're anything like me, you have moments of conviction when you hear the call and you respond, yes. You kneel down before him, literally or metaphorically, and offer everything to the Lord Jesus. I've spoken of how Archbishop Burnett of South Africa writes of how on one occasion he went through every part of his body, beginning from the toes on his feet to the hair on his head, consecrating and giving every part in service to the Lord Jesus. But then the circumstances of life overtake us and temptations overwhelm us and we need to renew that commitment. That's why coming to communion is so precious. We come again to receive the love of Jesus, to ask him to fill us with his spirit, to come into us and to offer ourselves afresh to him. And when we give ourselves to Jesus, he will begin to transform our desires. Some of the things we thought so important will become far less important. There will be new and different motivations. And of course, if we give ourselves first to Christ, it means that we give all that we have. All that we have. People ask how much should I give? The answer is everything. I think of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he should do to gain eternal life. And Jesus said to him, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And maybe that is the radical calling for some, to sell all they have and join a monastic community. But for most of us, we're called to live in this world. And so God gave his people in the Old Testament the command to tithe, to give a tenth of everything they receive. It's something that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 23, 23. And it's a very good principle to follow. 
It's actually a principle that I have followed all my life, ever since having pocket money. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to give 10p of a pound than it is to give 100 pounds of 1,000 pounds. But actually, once you've started on the little, it gets easier as you go on. <coughs> Literally, the very first thing that comes out of my salary is the tithe that I will give. When I was in the United Kingdom, it was by standing order. Here, we go to spare bank and take the money out, and we put it aside for Sunday. But I emphasize that in the New Testament, everything we have belongs to God, and so all our money belongs to him. And tithing is only a principle, a suggestion. It's not a law. I note that here, Paul doesn't tell the Corinthian Christians to tithe. Instead, he tells them of the Macedonian Christians, another group of Christians who gave according to their means, even beyond their means. He is far more concerned with motive than amount. For if the eagerness is there, he writes in verse 12, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And that means that, that, that some people should not be tithing. Some people who are on very, very little, you should not be tithing. It also means that there are probably people here who should be giving far, far more than the tithe. The important point here is that before we give our money, we need to have first given our life to the Lord Jesus. And secondly, we give because giving is the logic of the gospel. At the very heart of the Christian gospel is the supreme act of giving. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Everything that we have is gift. Life is gift. This world is gift. Our place in this world is gift. Our upbringing, talents, opportunities, and the ability to make use of those opportunities is gift. Our possessions are gift. We did nothing to deserve them. And how much more is the gift of a relationship with God, of forgiveness, of his words spoken to us, of the Holy Spirit, his presence with us, of membership in his family, of the promise of eternal life, of the kingdom of God and ultimate fulfillment and joy. Not only did we do nothing to deserve that, we did everything to dis-deserve that. That's not an English phrase, but it's, uh, but it's saying what, it's, what, what, what is there. But because of the love of God, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He gave up intimacy and peace with God so that we who were alienated from God could become intimate and have peace with God. He gave up his life and died so that we who will die might have life. He gave up heaven for earth so that we who were destined to go under the earth might have heaven. He gave up everything for us so that we who had nothing might eternally be united to him and have everything. It's all gift. 
The logic of the gospel is gift. And when a person gets gripped by the logic of the gospel, when they realize that all that God has given them is gift, and when they receive that gift, then they will begin to live by the logic of the gospel. They will be eager to give, and they will give. Why? Because the Spirit of Jesus, who was rich but became poor so that we might become rich, lives in us. Why? Because we want to become like the Lord Jesus, who was rich but became poor so that others might become rich. There's a third point here in that passage about equality and about sharing needs and interdependence of love. But I'm not going to deal with that because I'm sure we can deal with that later on in, in, in other weeks. But, it's, uh, but, but let me put this very simply. If you are a believer, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if you are being guided by the Spirit, then you will want to give, be eager to give, have an earnestness to give, using the words of our passage. And if you do not have that desire to give, or if when the plate comes round you give simply because you feel you ought to, then I'm going to make the radical suggestion that you do not give, at least to the ministry or the work of the church. God won't love you any the less. You will not be uh, you, you, you will feel much happier, and you will feel much happier about it. I love the story that's told of the mother who wanted her daughter to learn about giving. As they went to church, she gave her a 10-ruble coin and a 100-ruble note. She said, you can put either of them into the collection and keep the other. As they were going home, mum asked her which she put in. She said, well, at first, I was going to put in the 100-ruble note. But then the preacher said that God loved a cheerful giver. And I thought I would be much more cheerful if I had the 100 rubles. <laughs> so I put in the 10 rubles. The astonishing thing is, if you decide not to give and you then realize God still loves you, and that you are fully, absolutely welcome here, you might begin to realize a little of what grace actually means. And you might discover that what you really desire to do is to give yourself to him, because he really does want your life. And if you do desire to give, be wise. Tithing is a great principle. It's a great guideline for giving. It's a great witness. Alison says of the time that she went up to university as an undergraduate and was totally bowled over by an African student who was there. And she was in her room and uh, she opened a, a check and there was her, the check to enable her to live for the term. And the girl said, oh, great, and immediately got out her checkbook and wrote her tithe. Alison said that made a massive impact on her. It's a great principle, 
but nobody, nobody should be overburdened. And secondly, if you want to give, don't let things come in that stop you from doing what you really want to do, from what you were made to do. We were made to give. Don't let forgetfulness or laziness or procrastination or fear or spiritual drowsiness get in the home. Go home, even today, and put aside the money that you want to give. Do it. I'll finish with this story. A man called Richard Stearns writes, in 1987, one of the largest single-day stock market crashes since 1929 took place. In one day, my wife, Renee, and I lost more than one-third of our life savings and the money we had put aside for our kids' university education. I was horrified and became like a man obsessed, each night working past midnight, analyzing on spreadsheets all that we had lost, and the next day calling in orders to sell our remaining stocks and mutual funds to prevent further losses. Of course, that turned out to be the absolute worst thing I could have done. I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed. One night, when I was burning the midnight oil, Rene came in and sat beside me. Honey, she said, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, and a good income. So much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. Don't you hate it when someone crashes your pity party? I didn't want to let go of it. I told her I felt responsible for our family and that she didn't understand. It was my job to worry about things like this. She suggested we pray about it, something that hadn't occurred to me. So we did. At the end of my prayer, to my bewilderment, Rene said, now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to our church and ministries we support. We need to show God that we know that this is his money, not ours. I was flabbergasted at the audacity of this suggestion, but in my heart I knew she was right. So that night we wrote, the night we wrote some sizable checks put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries and sealed them. And that's when I felt the wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and giddy. God, please catch us. Because we just took a crazy leap of faith. Father God, help us as we think through this whole subject of giving. Help us, by your Spirit, to give voluntarily, freely, generously, abundantly, and with immense joy. Amen.